One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Before we get started on our regular episode this week, we are so excited to share that we have a third iteration of our show that we are adding into the rotation. And we'll likely be dropping quite a few more Sunday episodes than we have in the past moving forward. It's called The Rad Wrap. What we're going to be doing is covering series or films that have a common thread in them and thinking about them together in a way that we don't in our regular show. It'll still function like the regular show in that we'll talk about each film separately. We'll talk about the dads, uh, rad and bad that it makes us think of. And some of them will be spoiler episodes and some of them will not, depending on if the films are in a series and you have to talk about them in that way. Uh, but we'll always give you a heads up at the start of the episode. We will cover things like film franchises. We will cover things like film festivals. Um, We will cover some curated series that our favorite theater, Metro Cinema, does. And this is the perfect episode to be introducing this because future iterations of what we have deemed Lyft, Lori's Incredible Film Festival, will be a rad rap series. Mm Mm-hmm. We really hope that you join us for it. Our first one is dropping this Sunday, and it is on the Saw series. Oh, baby. Films 1 through 10. It's a long one. Most movies we've ever covered in an episode. So it is long, and it is going to be spoiler-based because you can't talk about the subsequent film without it addressing things that happened in the film before. And spoilers are kind of trickled throughout for films that come later in the series. So get out there, watch the whole Saw series and get out there and see Saw 10. I mean, not to not to bury the lead, but Saw 10 kind of rips. So get out to the theater, check out Saw 10, and then join us this upcoming Sunday for our first rad wrap on the Saw series. And we are so excited to have this third iteration, our regular episodes, our daddy deep dives, and now our rad wraps. Um, and we hope that you'll join us for these more frequent second episodes of the week. Oh, baby. I can't wait. So this is a very special episode. We attended LIF, or as what that stands for, Lori's Incredible Film Festival, Summer 2023 edition. Our buddy Lori from Queer Horror Cult Podcast, and who's been on our show before, we've gone on her show. She's like, I want to curate a movie marathon and invite people over to my place and to watch all of them back to back to back from noon to midnight. So we did that. And it's one of the funnest days of my life. (laughs) She also makes a mean vegetarian lasagna. Yeah, it was great. Taking a a quick break. I I feel like at the midway point, I I think we were. Yeah, it was after the third movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so lovely because to us, uh, if you know us, we love a mystery movie pick. And the whole 
what we're calling film festival was a big mystery movie festival. We didn't know what was coming next. We had no idea where Laurie was going in terms of genre. I mean, like we could, we could parse out that it's probably in the horror realm, but we didn't know how far it would go into that realm or not go into that realm. The only information we were given is Laurie had a word to describe the tone or vibe of every film. And we were given that ahead of time and also six emojis. And before we talk about every film, I'll say what word um, she used to describe it. But let's talk about these six Lori curated smackaroonies. From the first, the inaugural lift. The inaugural lift. <laughs> okay. We started off with the 1987 crime drama horror film, Alice, Sweet Alice. It was directed by Alfred Soule, written by Soule and Rosemarie Ritvo, and it stars Linda Miller as Catherine, Mildred Clinton as Mrs. Radoni, Paula E. Shepard as Alice, Niles McMaster as Dom, Jane Lowry as Aunt Annie, Rudolph Wilwrich as Father Tom, and Brooke Shields as Karen. Synopsis. In 1961, a divorced Catholic couple's life is turned upside down when one of their two adolescent daughters is suspected of her younger sister's brutal murder during her first Holy Communion and a series of subsequent stabbings. What do you think of Alice, sweet Alice? So this one, the word that Lori used to describe it was creepy. And as with all of the words that she picked, very accurate. Mm -hmm. This is one that the cover had always really intrigued me. It's got like a old, grimy creepy, icky vibe to it. <laughs> yes. Um, and the title is so compelling, Alice, Sweet Alice, which is interesting because it originally was called Communion. Mm -hmm. And I think even the film we watched, the version we watched of it, it said Communion. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And Lori's like, no, you have, just under a different name. Um, and it was changed because there was concerns that people would think it was a Catholic film. Mm. And so like, no, we'll just we'll just change that. It actually, this was really interesting to me, the title comes out of a publication from the Catholic Truth Society that was published in 1898, which said, quote, then there is Alice, sweet Alice, your <laughs> eldest born who leans over the back of your chair and sweeps your face with her brown curls. Oh. Horrifying. Yeah, it's creepy. It also has gone by the name The Mask Murders and by the name Holy Terror, so lots of different names for this one. Alice Sweet Alice is definitely the best. I really liked this movie. Yeah, great start to the whole fest. It drew me in right away. It was very, very stylish. And just something that stuck out for me is the characters were so chaotic. Everything felt so messy. And it just feels like we dialed everything up to 11 and then it just stayed there for the entire film. Yeah, this has some like some connections to me to like a Suspiria in that mm -hmm. it's very over the top and very stylized, but in its own realm. Mm -hmm. Like it almost felt like a hazy dream. Yeah. Um, really beautiful, really creepy, but like also really well shot. Yeah. Like strong score. Like it's a well-made film. And so it's really surprising to me that this director didn't really do anything else of significant consequence because I quite like this. Yeah. Like it has, there's something about seventies horror movie violence that I find quite appealing as fucked up as it is to say that. <laughs> like, but I, I found the way that it was captured really compelling. I thought the kills that happened in this movie, some of them are really fucked up mm -hmm. uh, and really upsetting. Uh, especially the one that's mentioned in the synopsis. It really icked me out. But also, I, I love how, you know, having never seen this movie, I don't even think I saw the poster before we watched it, but the ma the masks are so haunting and effective and have all of the makings of being iconic. Yeah, it's really surprising to me that this is one that isn't as commonly known. Like, I do think it's well-regarded and lots of people like it. Like a lot of well-regarded films from this time it wasn't well-regarded when it came out mm. 
Um, and now it is considered, I guess, according to Wikipedia, a contemporary classic of the slasher subgenre. Oh, there you go. I think this might hit even harder for someone who has religious trauma. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Um, I have a really wonderful, wonderful, thoughtful <clears throat> quote from Sheila O'Malley of Film Comment, where she said in this film, quote, from one scene to the next, religious iconography overwhelms the screen, paintings of Mary and Christ, marble statues, crosses on every wall, religion leering at the characters from behind, parishioners kneel at the altar, pushing out fat tongues for communion. And then uh, religion is not a refuge in Alice, sweet Alice. It is a rejection of the body itself, but the body, its tongues, its teeth, its menstruation will not be denied. Mm. So really, I think that this is a film that it was the first in, in this really exciting day of watching movies together. We're watching it at noon. Um, this strikes me as something that you could watch and it'd be even scarier depending on your own subjective experience. You could watch it from a really intellectual point of view. Um, it's got a lot going for it and it's one that I definitely want to revisit. I 100% agree with you at the exact same place. How did Alice Sweet Alice make you feel? It made me feel consistently compelled and creeped out. You? Uh, it made me happy to dial things up to 11 and to stay there. The second film that we watched of the inaugural lift um, was called Bad Dreams. This is a 1988 horror thriller directed by Andrew Fleming and written by Fleming, Michael Dick, and PJ Petiet. Uh, it stars Jennifer Rubin as Cynthia, Bruce Abbott as Dr. Alex Carmen, Richard Lynch as Harris, and Dean Cameron as Ralph. Synopsis, the lone survivor of a suicide cult wakes from a 13-year coma in a psychiatric ward where other patients suddenly start dying under mysterious and gruesome circumstances. What did you think of Bad Dreams? This was a bit more of a simple, straightforward, fun film, but fun in a different way from Alice Sweet Alice. I Admittedly, I didn't like this one as much as Alice Sweet Alice, mostly because this Bad Dreams so badly wanted to capture the haunting inescapable horror of a nightmare on elm street mm -hmm. or even to a degree it reminded me of poltergeist 2 have you ever seen it no but there's one the cult leader person in bad dreams is very reminiscent to me of um the character of kane from poltergeist 2 kane scared the piss out of me when i was a kid we should watch poltergeist 2 because there's shit in that that really fucked me up as a kid but the thing, the overarching thing across this whole movie that stuck with me and is what <laughs> is what kind of kept it from ascending to a higher level is I was just so distracted and wrapped up in the unethical psychiatrist patient dynamics that were occurring throughout the whole movie. Yeah, it's definitely a product of its time. Um, the word that Laurie picked for this film is campy. I think the question becomes, did the film mean to do that or has it just become that because it's a not very well-made film? Very good question. Um, and when we were watching it, I think I said this at the time, and I personally think it's the perfect comparison. I think Bad Dreams is to Nightmare on Elm Street what Mac and Me is to E.T. That's perfect. And, you know, sometimes you just want something dumb and silly and fun. And I think if you're looking for, you know, you've exhausted all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets and you want, <laughs> want something else that you haven't yet seen that is in that realm, then Bad Dreams is really great for that. Also has Tommy Pickles in it. Yeah. yeah. The voice of Tommy Pickles, or if you prefer, Phoebe Buffay's former singing partner. <laughs> yes. Um, but I agree with you. There's this undercurrent of like icky, not even undercurrent. There's this very overt icky relationship between the psychiatrist and Cynthia, our protagonist, that the film doesn't think there's anything wrong with. Yeah. And we all watching are like, ooh. Like, no. Yucky. No. <laughs> <laughs> so while it is kind of fun and ridiculous and gives you that like supernatural slasher thing that mm -hmm. you might want, kind of ends there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I don't mean to fully pile onto this movie because there are some creepy elements in it. Like some of the dream stuff was was executed well and like some of the some of the logic there was was interesting but i just feel like with dream stuff that's the ultimate opportunity to take some creative liberties and to 
really push it far and it never really quite got there for me. Like think of like a David Lynch or even what they do in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Like they kind of really try to infuse that dream logic into stuff. And that's where it really works for me. Mm, Yeah, this never really feels like that. There's a couple like gross kills and then the... We had a, a really funny accidental thing that almost carried its way all the way through, which was there was fans in every oh yeah <laughs> every movie, and there's a really gross kill with some fans in this that has messy consequences across the <laughs> hospital. Um, and some of those moments are like really great, but it's that's just real. It's not in a dream where I think about the original Nightmare on Elm Street and these moments where like all of a sudden his arms are hyper long and that's because that might happen in a dream. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, This feels like the type of movie that they thought was going to really do well and that there was going to be tons of sequels and and that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Interesting fact about it. I don't know if you remember this because we, we, we attended lift quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, But the song that plays over the end credits is sweet child of mine by guns N' roses. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how, how did this bad movie get that song? Well, I guess when this movie came out, Guns N' Roses weren't big. Like they were not well known. And so they actually licensed the song for five cents. That's And crazy. I think I think Guns N' Roses were hoping that being featured in this movie would help them. And in fact, like this was such a big deal for Guns N' Roses that they were actually going to make a music video just out of clips from the film, like as often happened. So it's quite funny to see that Bad Dreams is likely a movie that many people haven't heard of, but almost everybody knows the song Sweet Child of Mine. That's amazing. What a great little piece of trivia. I love that. That's what that's what I'm good for. I'm good for good little pieces of trivia. Love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a campy, fun time. If you've kind of exhausted the slasher genre and you want something silly and goofy, really fun one to just, we would never do this in a movie theater, but to talk through with your friends and laugh at and uh, it was a great second choice after we had just watched a much more heady film. How did Bad Dreams make you feel? It gave me a craving for some better Bad Dreams. How did it make you feel? Just a sense of easy horror fun. Yeah. Speaking of easy horror fun, the place we went next was Jaws in the Outback <laughs> for all intents and purposes. We watched the 1984 horror thriller Razorback. It was directed by Russell Mulcahy and written by Everett DeRoche based on the novel by Peter Brennan. It stars Gregory Harrison as Carl Winters, Archie Whiteley as Sarah Cameron, Bill Kerr as Jake Cullen, Chris Haywood as Benny Baker, David Argue, great last name, as Dicko Baker, and Judy Morse as Beth Winters. Synopsis, as a vicious wild boar terrorizes the Australian outback, the husband of one of the victims is joined by a hunter and a farmer in a search for the beast. What'd you think of Razorback? So this third film in our movie marathon, uh, Laurie called Schlocky mm. and Schlocky it is. Admittedly, I did not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie has the makings of everything I don't like in a horror movie. First of all, it's a creature feature, which is not my thing. Second of all, it almost leans more like an action adventure than it does horror but then within this film itself it like like it can't pick a lane like it doesn't really know what genre it is it feels like this pastiche of mad max and twister and the hills have eyes it can't seem to pick a protagonist like is the old man the protagonist is the reporter the protagonist is the reporter's husband the protagonist like Mm -hmm. whose story is this and then it's got this this like these weird these baker boys and like like is the is the razorback the antagonist or are Dicko and Benny the antagonists? Mm-hmm. It doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> and to me, that wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this whole thing, it was just some dumb, silly fun. We talked about on the on the we've talked on the show before about how you lean more, are you afraid of the dark, as opposed to goosebumps. This is in that goosebumps for adults realm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I'm the same as you, but I think I do have a little bit. My Venn diagram of the two is a little bit more balanced. 
I don't mind a little creature feature every now and then. And this is basically, like I said, this is just Jaws with a big, big bad piggy. <laughs> and I think that is doing a huge disservice to Jaws. Yeah. I, I, I would say more like Bad Dreams is trying to capitalize on the success of a movie like Nightmare on Elm Street. Razorback is trying to capitalize on the success of the formula that a movie like Jaws has done. It is nothing like Jaws. Yeah, it's it's more so, it's less of a Jaws with a big bad piggy and more of like a Jaws 2, 3, or 4 with a, with big, a big bad, bad piggy. piggy. Fair. Um. But I will say it does have some pretty killer cinematography in in it <laughs> and, and like yeah. some pretty decent practical creature work. Well, this was it was interesting because we we were having this movie marathon with our friends, Lori and Ariana, and then all of our friend, we're all friends. Um, our friend Tex showed up partway through Razorback. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things they said was, this looks really good. And then Lori mentioned, and I don't know if you remember this, but the director is a music video director. Right, yeah. And had directed music videos for ACDC, Culture Club, Sex Pistols, Paul McCartney, Video Killed the Radio Star. That's a song. By the Bangles? I just really like the song, so I wrote the song down. <laughs> um, he directed the music video for Turning Japanese. He directed music videos for Fleetwood Mac, Elton John, Rod Stewart, and did a bunch of Duran Duran videos, including Hungry Like a Wolf. Hungry Like the Wolf. I just want to clarify. Video Killer Radio Star was by The Buggles, not The Buggles. <laughs> Close. <laughs> so he had done not just music video directing, but like high profile, really successful music video directing. Yeah. And then the director of photography for the film named, his name is Dean Selmer, had worked on Mad Max too. So that checks out with some of like the <laughs> vibing of the film. So I agree with you. The film looks good. And there's a sequence in it, like a, a trippy sequence mm. that I love and I would revisit just that sequence. Mm-hmm. Nothing else in the film is like that sequence at all. And the sequence kind of doesn't even really matter in the context of the film, which is part of my like pick a lane. Like, what are you doing? And maybe that's part of the music videoness of it. Like music videos don't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. They're just vibes. Mm-hmm. And this movie is kind of just vibes. Yeah. So I get why a person would like watch it and love it, especially if they saw it when they were younger but ooh boy, it wasn't for me. <laughs> I think the highlight for me was like the old man or in, if you're looking at it through a Jaws lens, the Quint-esque character, his delivery of the line, Jesus wept was a highlight for me. It's a response to seeing something, just saying Jesus wept. <laughs> this was another fun one to like watch as a group and Oh, yeah. And kind of like rip on it a little bit. And Lori was very, very smart about choosing the order of things that we could have some fun and turn our brains off a little bit and then get back into it for something headier. Um, And I think this was a great one with you in the mix. And I think also a movie that Tex would be more in the mix for. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, "Eh, I'm going to sit back and turn my brain off more than even a little bit Mm -hmm. for this movie. Yeah. Oh, and I think that that's totally cool. I mean, at the end of it, the climax is just the perfect culmination of the dumb, silly fun that you witness throughout the whole ride. And yeah, it's not incredible, but it certainly wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. And it was just kind of a visual treat the whole way through. I mean, I did give it a higher rating on Letterboxd than I gave Alligator, but I feel pretty similarly about both of them. There you go. Just not my kind of movie totally fair but how did it make you feel it made me feel mostly annoyed outside of a few standout scenes (laughs) how did it make you feel uh made me feel a mad respect for just making a good looking fun and dumb movie all right we were halfway through our marathon get into some heavy shit here yeah this is when things turned a corner Lori was like we had some fun in the afternoon we took a break we had delicious lasagna Now let's make things really messed up. (laughs) Um, So our fourth film was the 1976, although in my notes I wrote 19976. Oh. Well, this is way in the future. Uh, The 1976 film, Who Can Kill a Child, which I believe also has alternate titles, but I really like that title. Uh, It's an adventure horror mystery film. Adventure's a weird 
thing to say, uh, but that is what they are saying. It was directed by Narciso Ibanez Serrador and written by him, written by him and then based on the novel by Jan Jose Plans. It stars Luz Flander as Tom and Prunella Ransom as Evelyn. The synopsis for this is a couple of English tourists. <laughs> I said that weird. The synopsis for this is <laughs> a couple of English tourists arrive on an island where all the children have gone crazy and are murdering the adults. <laughs> <laughs> they don't bury the lead in the synopsis. Um, what did you think of Who Can Kill a Child? This was the highlight of the marathon for me. This was my favorite film. And it actively had me leaning in throughout the whole runtime. The building tension and the dread was just expertly crafted and done and well done. And I did not know where it was going. I had no familiarity with this movie. I had not read a synopsis or anything going into it. But when it goes there, it goes there. Yeah, this was, so the word that Laurie picked for this film was dread and dread indeed. Um, we've talked before when we've had Laurie on the show, and I think we've mentioned in subsequent episodes that Laurie has a ridiculously impressive physical media collection of horror films and sometimes like multiple versions of the same one. So when we watched this, Laurie said there's actually a lot of different edits of this movie, and she picked a very particular one. Um, there's also, I think, different dubbings of the film because there's English and there's Spanish and I think there's more languages than that. Yeah. Um, the version we watched was called Isle of Death, mm. which is not nearly as good as Who Can Kill a Child. Yeah. But after watching this, all I could think was, holy shit, why do more people not know about this movie? Yeah. Why is this not a very famous movie? <laughs> um, I think probably because of, the heaviness and intensity of children as the force of killing. <laughs> yeah. Um, like this is what children of the corn wants to be. Yeah. Children of the corn is this, but fun. Whereas who can kill a child is deeply upsetting. I just, I, I was blown away by it and I couldn't believe that I had never heard of it before and that so few people on my letterbox have seen it. Yeah. Really, really, really surprised that this exists and isn't famous. Yeah, because it has some really great storytelling, at least in the version that we, that we watched. It has some really great storytelling. It really builds the world up really well. It has some excellent twists especially by the end and it has such a haunting ending. It's the perfect sort of horror thriller type of ending. Well, and this is the kind of, so my favorite kind of horror film is both fun to watch and scary, but also has something to say. And this movie is that like this movie, it's looking at war and like the ramifications of war on an intellectual level through the events of the film abortion is part of the film which is like maybe why it wasn't successful then or now hmm. um it's also considering like the agency of children mm -hmm. and of course it's doing it through a horror lens but part of what's being looked at is should children be allowed to have agency because of the harm that we often do to children yeah. that adults do to children and while the children are positioned as the antagonists in this film i think there's a different version where like we're rooting for what they're doing yeah and i i so saw that and appreciated it while I was watching it. And I can see this being another reason why people don't like it is that even the title alone, who can kill a child, it's confrontational. And it's, yeah. It's asking the viewer, can you? Yeah. It's challenging its audience and it continues to challenge them through the events of the film. And for me, that works. I like that. I, I like that as a tone. I like that as an approach. And I think it's executed really well here. I think that, it'd be hard to have a popular film where there's violence involving children that it doesn't, that isn't held back on mm -hmm. and have it be something that everybody loves. Mm -hmm. um, but I truly think if you're a horror movie fan, you should seek out this film and you should watch it um, because it's so good. And I'm so glad that Laurie picked it. The most interesting piece of trivia for me is that the director wanted Anthony Hopkins to play the lead. Mm. Can you imagine? 
um, probably would have gotten more uh, <laughs> eyes on it if Anthony Hopkins was in it. But yeah. that character, Tom, he's such a douche. He's always running away from his wife. And he's always like, you don't need to know. You don't need to know. Yeah. He's always going it's to okay. investigate. I'll figure it out. He's like, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, deuces. I'll see you in a second. But I do think that's very purposefully done. Um, and yeah, this just this movie from start to finish, mounting sense of unease. We didn't know anything about it. So we didn't know that there was going to be children who have gone crazy and are murdering all of the adults. <laughs> um, but it's such, such a good movie. And I, it's definitely one I'm going to watch again. And it's one that I think that people who like horror movies should seek out. I echo the exact same thing. How did Who Can Kill a Child make you feel? Actively engaged and unswayed about my decision to not have children. <laughs> How did it make you feel? Yeah, this is one that definitely we were like, cool, good choice. Sweetie. Yeah, kids, man. Nah. nah. <laughs> uh, it made me feel unease, amazement and reflective. Yeah. Was this your favorite of the fest? Oh, yeah, for sure. This and Alice, Sweet Alice were my two favorites. I I agree. Okay, for the next one, we watched the 1982 drama horror mystery film Tenebrae. It was directed and written by Dario Argento. This is our second Argento that we've both seen. So it's Anthony Franciosa as Peter, Giuliano Gemma as Detective Germani, John Saxon as Bulmer, Daria Nicolaudi as Anne, Christian Borromeo as Gianni, and that is it. Um, for the synopsis, an American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who is murdering everyone associated with his work on his latest book. Damn, that sucks. What'd you think of Tenebrae? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that does suck. I really hate when people murder based on my work. Um, I hate when people murder. I hate when people murder. Except when it's in a movie. And then that's fun. So Lori picked the word tension for this film. Mm. This being our second Argento ever and the only one we'd seen other than this, Suspiria, I was surprised at how different they were. Yeah, I was surprised that this felt, at least to me, a lot more subdued. Um, felt more like a crime thriller. Yeah. You know, like a, like a mystery crime whodunit kind of thing. Yeah. There's definitely these really stylistic moments, which, I mean, Lori, if you're listening, I know that you know so much more about Jallos and about Argento than I do. <laughs> but I believe that Argento is well known for the style and the way it looks and that that's what Jallo is, is well known for. Um, and it certainly has that. But I was surprised at how different it felt than Suspiria. Yeah. Yeah, the the tone the tone shifted the genre like you said like it feels more crime thriller look at Suspiria I don't know what the hell is going on in Suspiria I've seen it like <laughs> a couple times and I'm like I don't even know yeah. I don't even know what's going on this has a plot y yes and the plot makes sense and it follows through and there's like there's crime and there's people trying to figure out who's committing the crime yeah there's that element of like am I going to figure out who the killer is before the end of the film yeah in like a scream way, right? Mm -hmm. And that was fun. Um, there are these dream, dreamy sequences kind of happening throughout the film, and those were actually my favorite. Mm. And those feel like they're hearkening back to more of what Argento's doing in Suspiria. Um, but I definitely enjoyed this. I think we were, you know, we're reaching the end of the night, we're getting tired. Yeah. And this is a longer movie, and it's pretty just like straight. To me, yeah. it plays it pretty straight, mm -hmm. um, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, just echoing what you said, I think Argento makes some very stylish shit. I enjoy the experience of watching his films. And that, I think, has been my biggest takeaway now, having seen two of his films. And that's what makes me look forward to seeing more of his work. But I think the main thing that he's really good with that I really, really like in his movies is how he uses blood and how he films blood. It looks graphic, not in a violent way, but graphic as in graphic design. So, so it just looks, it has that contrast and that vibrance that stands out in the scene. It almost looks cartoony, but yeah. beautifully so. Vibrance is the perfect word for it. And 
that certainly exists in this, but I feel like it's it's not from start to finish the way it is in Suspiria, where like the whole film from frame one mm. is just shouting vibrance at you, whereas this is moments of vibrance. Yeah, pops of that. Yeah, which is nice. Totally. It's more like more of a journey than like a shout for the entire film. Yeah. But I just wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Based on having seen Suspiria. Yeah. No, 100%. And like you said, too, like the story here is decently compelling uh, and it keeps you hooked in the mystery of it all. There's some good reveals throughout. Some of the kills are really great. Something I've really noticed in this movie is that Argento, for all of his female act- actors in this, he loves a one boob hanging out moment. He does. I f- I don't remember Suspiria enough to know if he does that there too, but wouldn't surprise me if that's a Argento signature. Yeah, just one tit. <laughs> just, Ew. Just out at all times during a scene. It was very weird. And I mean, like, he definitely has attractive people in his films, but it's like, wh- wh- what are we doing here? Like, it just feels so intentional. That it's a little it, scuzzy. Like, you know, he's behind the camera. It's just like, and cue the tit. <laughs> And yeah, like the characters are all right. I didn't really connect with anybody in Suspiria. And I know that we've seen a, f- a few Jala movies. And I, I don't think that that's their jam. You're not meant to hop on the bandwagon with any singular character and think they're most the most amazing character you've ever seen on film. It's about style. And that's just it. And I think that that's what I'm learning about it. And moving forward as I watch more and more Jala movies that's what I'm going to look to take from it is how stylish it is. How did this make you feel? It made me feel drawn into that Argento style. You? Yeah. Just in love with how Argento uses style and blood in his films. I mean, based on how we felt, we liked it more than what we said. Yeah. Um, Definitely worth seeing. Yeah. Okay, and the final film of the night uh, was actually one that's been on my list for a really long time. Um, It's called Angst. It's a 1983 film, a drama horror thriller, directed by Gerald Cargill. Cargill. (laughs) Directed by Gerald Cargill, written by him and Zibigin. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I really didn't think about this. (laughs) Zibigin. say that you have to cut this out <laughs> i really don't want to <laughs> no, you have to <laughs> zipping new Zip- how do you say that <laughs> ribjinski i thought okay the second one's easier what the f- Zip-a-g-new. how do you say that it means to dispel anger <laughs> okay i just put that into google and the second question is, what kind of a name is? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Polish masculine name. How do you say it? It's big name. Okay. I'm going to start all over, okay? We have reached the final film of Lori's Incredible Film Festival, the first ever one. And she picked a film that had been on my list forever. The final film was the 1983 drama horror thriller Angst. It was directed by Gerald Cargill and written by him as well as Zbigniew Rybczynski. It stars Irvin Letter as Kay, Sylvia Ryder as daughter, Edith Rossett as mother, Rudolf Gotts as son, and Kuba as dog. Synopsis. A troubled man gets released from prison and starts taking out his sadistic fantasies on an unsuspecting family living in a secluded house. For this final film, the word that Laurie picked was grim, what did you think of angst? Grim indeed. Um, yeah, we ended this marathon on such a bleak note. So this was going to be ending just after midnight. We just went through the whole day, lasagna and all. Oh man, this was just disturbing, upsetting. It's It felt in a similar vein to funny games. For me, Funny Games works a little bit better for me, just from a storytelling perspective. But this film is really well executed for the tone it's going for. Well, I think Funny Games 
is a bit more of an intellectual exercise. Like Haneke wants you to think about things a certain way. I think angst is more concerned with how you feel. Yes. I think angst similarly doesn't want the viewer to think this is fun. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think we're meant to feel like, you know, this is at top of my mind because it just came onto Criterion. But like, and I know what you did last summer. Like, we're just like, let's go watch people get like slashered. That's going to be fun. <laughs> angst is like, because angst is based on a real serial killing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's based on a real man who went to a house and killed some people in a really awful way. And I do not think we are supposed to find any of this fun. No. And the film nails that. And I think that's why, you know, Laurie picked that word grim. Mm hmm. It confronts you with the reality of how not fun murder is in real life. Yeah. Which I think sometimes it's really important for people who like horror movies like us to think about, right? That like when we are consuming a horror film, we are consuming that violence. And a lot of the times we're talking about how fun it is. You know, when I watch a movie like Pearl, I'm like, yes, more killing. Oh, yeah. Squish the eyeball, you know. Mm -hmm. But when it's put in a different tone, like it does like angst does not a second of it is fun. Yeah. And I feel sick to my stomach. Yeah. And, and I think there's really room for both, but mm -hmm. it's important for a horror movie fan to think about that every once in a while. Yeah. hundred percent. It's almost a bit of a, I don't know, a reality check, a gut check, some sort of check so that if you're consuming all of the, all these, horror movies and some of them really play up violence for humor or as part of the plot and then it's just kind of passed over it's important like you said to have movies like this where you can it, it can linger a little bit mm -hmm. and you can linger in that and take that away and reflect on that and i think in some senses then ending a horror movie marathon with this is maybe an appropriate exercise in sobering the concept of horror yeah right and reminding all of us who are you know enjoying these deaths and this violence that right in real life we don't enjoy it we don't condone it we don't like it and having to see it in a way that mimics real life is not fun at all um, and there was a lot that was done in the film to create that heightened sense of reality um they used pig's blood for all of the blood. Mm. So, I mean, the opposite of an Argento, right? Like, this is not stylized. It's meant to look real. Mm -hmm. And then most of the film is just uh, voiceover from the killer, Kay. And the writers used quotes from confessions of real-life killers for a lot of that dialogue. Oh. And some of the stuff that's being said is just, it's so upsetting it's also really interesting, and especially for this being a pick from Laurie, that uh, Gaspar Noé says this is one of the films that has influenced him pretty profoundly. Checks out. Um, and Laurie's a big fan of, I think, particularly Climax from Gaspar Noé. Yeah, I don't know. This was, this makes me feel like I maybe don't need to watch movies like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. um, or like The House That Jack Built. It feels like that's going to be in this vein. And I'm very glad that I've seen it. And I do think it's important to consider the reality of horror every once in a while as a horror movie fan. But it made me feel pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> and unlike Funny Games, which I like to revisit because it is that like inter intellectual meta exercise, this just made me feel gross. It made me feel like reading, like like listening to a really awful like true crime podcast or something like that. Like it just felt so real. Which yeah. means it's incredibly effective. That's just it. Yeah, it's just truly upsetting violence and acts against human beings that it makes it for it makes for a very tough watch as the viewer. And to add on to things that make it even more effective, I thought the camera work and how chaotic it was was mm. another element that just added to, to that discomfort and that disorientation, and put you even more into the perspective of K, which I don't want. <laughs> no, not fun. And the movie knows that. Um, I'm with you though. I, I'm glad to have watched it and I don't think I would ever revisit it again. 
but yeah, I'm I'm happy to have seen it. I will say though, the highlight for me was actually the music. It had some pretty good music in it. I wonder if that's a misstep. Then. There was times where I'm like, the music is almost like synthy cool. Yeah. And then I'm like, mm, for everything else that's going on here and how like grimly realistic it is. Why am I bopping my head? Yeah. Why am I bopping? <laughs> yeah. We'll have to ask uh, Gerald, Gerald Cargill. 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 Um, how did Inks make you feel? Profoundly upset while bobbing my head to the soundtrack. How did it make you feel? Well, you and me are simpatico, baby, because <laughs> I said profoundly upset and reflective on the link between real life violence and horror media. Yeah. Good reflection. So that was it. That was the inaugural Lori's Incredible Film Festival, summer 2023. Who are the dads of Liff? Tell me who your bad dad is. My bad dad was Dr. Alex Carmen from Bad Dreams. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, he's just a real ethical nightmare <laughs> or a real ethical bad dream, if you will. Real ethical bad dad. Yeah. Um, he's in a position of power, which just adds to how questionable his actions are and how dangerous his actions are. And the fact that he's just like to hell with boundaries and in service of acting selfishly, he can, he can frick off. He's he's not a, he's not a good dad. He's a bad dad. Who's your bad dad? I mean, I feel like you're probably gonna win this because I forgot about him. Um, I picked Dicko from Razorback. I mean, nasty for sure. Yeah, like he's grade A disgusting, but I also feel like the movie's aware of that. And when we're talking about dads, I think what makes the worst kind of dad is an insidious bad dad, like a mm-hmm. dad who's bad and doesn't like Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Insidious. <laughs> Insidious. Bad Good one. Um, but like uh, a person who doesn't acknowledge that what they're doing is harmful. And that's definitely Dr. Dr. Guy from Bad Dreams. So I'm into it. I'm into it. Okay, cool. Dr. Alex Carmen. Don't, don't be, be our dad. dad or our psychiatrist. Get the frick out of here, dude. Who's your rad dad? So this is a double uh, Bad Dreams double feature because I picked Harris from Bad Dreams for my rad dad. Who is Harris? So Harris is the like patient who kind of likes Cynthia, but he's like the oh. one guy who like thinks there's something going on. Right. Um, the reason I picked him is because first of all, it's hard to find rad dads in horror movies. <laughs> yeah. That's tricky, especially some of the ones we watched. Yeah. But Harris, outside of a few skeezy comments and the movie came out in the 1980s. So, so we'll try to forgive He reminds me a lot of Marty from Cabin in the Woods. Like he's supportive of Cynthia. He doesn't gaslight her. He believes her when she says something is going on. Um, And he himself is on to what's happening. And he's just a fighter. Like he's like, we're not going to let them take us down. We're not going to let this happen. And I respect that. Uh, A big proponent of stick it to the man Eosis. He is. He he has stick it to the man Eosis. That's yeah. That's a good choice. Um, I chose Beth Winters from Razorback. She was the one who was doing She's the blonde. She was doing the documentary. Okay. Explain. I mean, right out of the gate, she, her whole purpose as soon as she's introduced is that she's fighting for animal rights. Yeah. Well, that's something we like. Uh, I, yeah, I really like it because I like animals better than I like people. Hot take. And I, and not only is she fighting for animal rights, she's actively spreading the word about it. And she challenges people on why they think the way they do. She's going into the the belly of the beast, so to speak, of where these people and hunters and animal killers are and questioning them on it, which is pretty brave, pretty bold, pretty badass. And the fact that she's so determined and tough when it comes to that. And she's 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 quite smart. I like that she quite smart. I like that she's quite smart. So I'm I'm here for Beth Winters. I mean, you seem really passionate about Beth Winters being the rad dad. So sure. Oh, thanks, babe. So Beth Winters. Beer Beer dad. dad. Rad wreck. Plain and simple, baby. Have movie marathons with your friends. It's fun as hell. It's so fun. This is, I think, the most movies I've ever watched in one day. Same. Which is kind of wild considering how much we like movies and like doing double features but i think i haven't often done more than three in a day 
Yeah, it's usually and usually the um, impetus for that is a trilogy. Yeah. Or, you know, I think sometimes it's been a, you know, you watch something in the afternoon and then maybe you have a double feature at night. Yeah. But like intentionally sitting down and being like noon to midnight, we are watching six movies, a movie every two hours, snack breaks, pee breaks, lasagna breaks, <laughs> fun together. And I can't wait for the next one. Um, and I think it's something I used to do more in high school, like getting together and renting some movies, often bad movies, intentionally bad movies and just sitting around and like watching movies together. So glad to be doing it again. And I, I highly encourage other people to do it. I agree. And we're getting to that season that's perfect for it too. Fall, winter, like you're not going outside. Yeah. Lock yourself in and watch six movies. I mean, if you live in Edmonton or anywhere near the wildflower smoke in Canada, you're not going outside anyway. Do it year round. Climate change, baby. Just watch <laughs> movies inside. Yeah. Invite your best peeps. Get the snacks. Get the flicks. Have a blast. Mwah. Thank you for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. And until then, you can slide into our DMs over on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Usernames are in the show notes. And we'd absolutely love you forever if you'd share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for these lift heads this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.